It is the name of your podcast, right? That's so. right. And, and don't <laughs> tell anybody, but I'm actually having chai right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hypocrite. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> I usually uh, stick with the teas in the afternoon and coffees in the morning. How about yourself? Are you a caffeine? Uh, I'm a co- caffeine codependent. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Caffeine codependent. Um, I'm a more of a tea person. I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I'm your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. I have with me Madame Helwa. That's right. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Welcome to the show. And Secrets of the Divine is a book that you had published recently. It's a spiritual journey into the heart of Islam. Um, how has the uh, the reception has been great? I mean, just on Amazon, Instagram, you know, uh, lovely um, content itself. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend. We'll have a link in the description of the show. But uh, Hel, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your, you know, intention for this? Um, obviously, inshallah, it's to serve Allah Azza wa Jal. And uh, you know, me, and when I saw that you were, you know, look, I like to keep things anonymous. I, the first thing I thought wasn't like, why? That's weird. I was like, nice. That's cool. You know, and mm-hmm. that's um, I could see I could see the impact that that could perhaps have on on a person's soul while they're trying to, um, you know, express or give such a precious sentimental and even weighty gift right anytime you're kind of um i mean i feel self-conscious all the time just doing the podcast or the counseling work i do i'm like yeah love just please don't mm. let me be the reason why they're more messed up or I, I mess them up more and so it's like once in a while you do have to remember and i feel like this is a central theme to perhaps your work is you know recognizing that the primary relationship is the divine relationship and uh you know cultivating love and intimacy there first is What's going to um, perhaps uh, you know blossom everything else that you're you're meant to do? But before I get into that, because uh, I'll, I'll get sucked right into my my zone <laughs> with you, um, why don't you just give us a few minutes on why you wrote the book, how is it being received, and how are you feeling about it these days? Um, as far as you know, uh, it being out there for a bit now. It's been by the grace of God, I have to say, like it's been received in a way that I could not imagine. Um, I could, I just couldn't imagine the imams from mosques that I attended to as just a everyday Muslim would be reaching out to me, not knowing who I am because it's a pseudonym and just like, just being grateful because their kids are reading about Islam, which I thought was always really cool that, um, you know, their, their dad's an imam, but that their dad is excited that they're reading about Islam from, from the book and I feel it's like this great, great gift from God because I'm, I'm just an everyday Muslim. I'm not um, a great teacher. I'm not a leader in the community. I'm just an everyday Muslim who I feel, um, I just felt grateful that Allah put the type of people in my life that were people of knowledge. And as I started learning from them and just taking notes, it just felt like the book kind of formed itself from just the desire to get to know my relationship with Allah and my relationship with Islam from a different viewpoint. Um, And I say viewpoint because Islam is as it has always been and its love and its mercy is inherent in it. But my viewpoint or my vantage point of it growing up was not the way that inspired me towards the faith. And my parents were, were Muslims that loved Allah and they loved their religion and they were always in service and they were always so kind to us growing up 
But somewhere inside of me, I internalized a relationship with the law that was entirely based on fear. And so having the introduction of hope, it's like reaching for a law and fear and hope. The Quran says, and so in th- that introduction of hope, it like transformed my relationship and made it feel more complete. And so the process of putting this book together, in part, was like speaking to me as as a child growing up, but also I felt like this this community desire for um, for approaching Allah through love, which is at the heart of Islam. And I always say it's not something new. And if you read many texts, you'll find this at the heart of it. It's just we don't have access to a lot of Arabic or Urdu or, or you know, Farsi, these predominant um, texts that are written in different languages for the English speaker. And so it was it was just such a gift to be a part of that. And, and I'm happy that people receive it well. Um, but I have to say that I didn't expect that, nor that I feel like the success of the book was based on that. I feel like for me, what I felt called to do was give it my all, and I I tried my best. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was just like, if it does well and people receive it, like I'm obviously happy, and I am. Um, my intention is to get it into as many hands as, as of those people who want it, especially in countries where um, booksellers and publishers aren't interested in working with because of um, there being no money to be made or these sort of financial decisions um but yeah so it's kind of been this wild roller coaster ride um but i'm just really grateful for it i was saying so it sounds like this it just kind of congealed for you and consolidated you know over time uh as perhaps a product or an effect of you know your quest for meaning and knowledge and, and seeking the divine since you were a child, right? And so that sometimes you find yourself in a place perhaps where, you know, a lot of times we think our purpose is something I have to go figure out, but sometimes it's given to you, right? Or, the, you know, you get the calling. And so purposes, I feel like all people have perhaps multiple purposes, you know, it's never just mm. one thing, like you're just here to be a doctor or just to write one book or whatever. It's like, no, sure. this could be your purpose, you know, now, but in 10 years, you might have a pur- another purpose, right? That's that's just as huge or, or bigger or whatever. And so um, I thought that was, uh, you know, perhaps one way to understand what you said there is it's just your life quest itself um, kind of congealed into this, uh, you know, organized um spiritual expression of yourself but also as a access you know manual for others uh to inshallah find something um that is not necessarily needing to be found as you mentioned in your book but you know as we know the whole deen's dhikr and so to make mention to recall to remember means that it's something that you already know it's just you yeah. haven't, you know, well, well, remember Johnny from school? It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Dude, Johnny from math, man, that guy used to be a class clown. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then you, yeah. you know, here's a memory. And then, I, oh, yeah, Johnny. So first he's making mention, don't know Johnny. Then he tells me, uh, remember this? And I start, oh, yeah, now I recall. Now I remember Johnny. And now I'm telling him stories about Johnny. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's in, in a sense, I feel like that's one of your messages in the book is we're actually constantly in every moment, we have an opportunity to unveil, uh, reveal, you know, awaken to the presence of Allah. And uh, when we're not in that state, we are 
um, you know, we're basically enchained by our own uh, ego filters, let's say. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, no, you had it perfect. Um, I think of revelation as revealed truth. And I think when you see it in those terms, it makes more sense that the, the Quran came down in, in this one night of power, but then it manifested over, you know, close to two dozen years. Right. So it's like, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? It came all down and then it man. And it's this like revealed truth. The truth came down and it takes process to unveil itself but it's here, it's right there. And to me, that was like a very, it's a deep moment to think about, about that and to think about the spiritual journey just being a process of unveiling instead of getting from one physical place to another, whether it's actually physically or emotionally or spiritually, there's this idea that it's over there, that awakening, that connection, that, um, presence is over there somewhere and i'm here and right. that separation I call it the long distance relationship with god <laughs> right right <laughs> going long distance god you know but uh if you feel that way you're saying it's not god that moved you know it's you you exactly. who moved, right yeah that's um and even on the topic of you know I, you said something about purpose i think it's interesting is the i, I think the quran makes such an emphasis on the principles and then practices blossom from that soil of principle. So every practice has a, it's attached to a principle. And as Muslims, we tend to forget, we get in, enamored with a practice and we forget the principle. And that's the thing, even in, if you study like Taoism, they often talk about that principles don't change. That's true in Islam too. It's like the principles don't change. The outward manifestation of that may be different outwardly. In other words, if our intention is to serve Allah, you could do that by, you know, moving to Africa and, and helping children who are sick as a surgeon. You, but you could do that giving money. Well, you could do that with an IT company. You could do that as a lawyer. You could do that as a you can do that, accountant, yeah. as everything. any outward expression. The goal is not if we get attached to that outward expression of it, we experience pain because it might not look the way we want. But the principle we can hold on to across any changes outwardly. And I find that is like this deep thing around peace and seeking contentment is if the prophet's lives, peace be upon them all, it's like they showed us like it's such an amazing expression of holding on to principle. Whether I'm building a boat in the desert or parting a sea, I have holding on to the exact same principle. And that's why the message the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, came with was indifferent even if it was outwardly manifesting in a different time. And I think that's like, mm -hmm. a, it's kind of beautiful to see that unity across time and space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, so two things, I feel like you're getting into the universal spirit or message of Tawheed, and then there was the purpose part, which of course it's all interconnected, right? But, um, mm. you know, what, maybe another way to understand purpose is, there is a universal, let's say, divine prescriptive purpose, right? And so forth, right? We're not, we're not here except to jinn and humans to uh, know and serve and love Allah and so forth, right? Um, and this, uh, then there's descriptive purposes, you know, for example, mm -hmm. purposes that the individual, you know, through their harnessing of the divine tradition, 
um, basically just try to be the best human they can be. Right. And so that's like can take on like while you're praying or while this person's going to church every week, you know, you're both on Saturday, you know, serving the homeless food. Right. And it's mm. like, so what? Right. And so and so some people are like, oh, no, I can't, you know, uh, they're you know, we we're Muslims. So we have to do it with just Muslims or we do this and do that. Like, for example, I, I know a true story of a convert told me this, that um, a person, you know, he was helping with uh, feeding the hungry. And uh, the community he was working with, you know, there was some mess up in the order and they get like tons of meat and like make these grocery bags. Helwa. So they got a bunch. They, mm. There was some mishap with like they got pork, you know, as, as the frozen meat uh, portion of their charity. And so, you know, I want to actually ask you. So if you show up, you know, there's 30 Muslims, they're all feeding. And it's like we usually get beef and chicken. But today we got beef and pork. You know, what would you do with that? Like, how do you now? What do you do with that? What do you think would ha- could happen in that situation based on your uh, experience with the Muslim community? There's different, of course, uh, reactions, but I'm, I'm thinking, what would the book tell us? Well, I um, that's interesting because I, I think about what community, what a lot of communities I've been a part of, it goes one of two ways. One is they're like, oh, it's pork. They try to return it. If they can't, they throw it out. And then another side is like, okay, it's pork. We can't eat it, but somebody else can. And they're like, and then they give it to that different community. So it feels like, and then it feels like the two sides of those (laughs) don't understand each other Mm because they start to fight on theology while people are sitting there hungry. Yeah. And what's interesting is, and we don't have to say like, oh, that's the right opinion or not. Everyone can, can think about that. And also the beauty of Islam is both sides actually can be right. Mm-hmm. But it also just depends on how you hold your position, right? So if I think I'm right and now I'm attacking and criticizing all these other Muslims in front of me because, oh, my God, you guys uh, want to take that position, then, sure. you know, that to me, that may indicate sometimes like, well, is it about Allah in this moment for you or is it about, no, you're mm-hmm. going against the ideological Islamic branding that I think is the only way to be, right? right. And that's important because in your book, you often, you know, talk about Look, tradition, people, teachers even, right? They are fellow travelers on the journey like you and me, you know? And even you were saying earlier, like, look, I'm just an everyday lady trying to do what Allah put me here to do. And that's the beauty is a lot of people may be saints and they don't know they are. A lot of people may be Mm. much closer to God and they're the ones that always think God is angry with them or upset with them, right? Who knows? And so there is that, um, I feel, mystery or, um, you know, uh, aspect of, uh, you know, humility that has to be included in this, um, you know, conceptualization of the path itself, right? Because if it's just mm. about, like you said, external performance, I've, my pur- purpose is all about, did I meet the checkbox of the prescription uh, of being a good Muslim according to my local community or family, right? In other words, I'm fulfilling the franchise cultural Islam <laughs> brand that, uh, op- you know, th- that I'm a part of, right? Um, and so that just can also become just as much ideological or even dogmatic in a harmful way too. Even though you're quoting Quran and Sunnah all day, well, guess what? A lot of people who don't, Muslims don't, also don't want to be associated with quote mm. the Quran and Sunnah all day and do things that were like, whoa, where'd that come from? Why, why is our beautiful deen and prophet associated with this, you know? But they're, you know, so that also goes to what you're also, I think, emphasizing in your book overall is, you know, that um, sincere, conscious agency uh, in one's mm-hmm. quest for meaning. And, 
you can't necessarily always rely on others to give you meaning and value or even, you know, individual purpose uh, through the divine purpose, right? So if we're all here to worship, then it's like, okay, well, how's Kareem and Helwa going to worship mm. God fully in the way that they can with their gifts and what weaknesses and struggles they have is also going to impact their, let's say, existential journey, right? And so I like to always say Islam is a path to Allah, but Islamic psychology or existential Islamic psychology is your you and my individual journey mm. on that path, you know? And that's why some some guys I know, they, mashallah, they fast every other day. I'm like, that ain't me. <laughs> I don't know mm. if that's the door I'm going to go, you know, through. Um, but I can do other things that they are not going to be doing. So sure. I think that's also a great point that you mentioned. It's like we can all serve in different ways. And that's the part of the meaning or purpose of one's purpose is to realize you don't have to be like everyone else or else you're a waste of what Allah already made you as. I love that. I feel like that's so significant and important. and such a wonderful reminder to have because it gives, it feels like what you're saying honors everyone for exactly where they are and exactly what Allah has given them. And in the Quran, it says that. It says that we will ask you based on what we gave to you. So that's why I think comparison is such a problem because you start to look outwardly and compare yourself with people, but you don't know what Allah gave them. You know, like you may have a Bill Gates or somebody giving lots of money and doing these incredible things. And you're like, wow, like, but you may have someone in a village doing 98% of what Allah gave him. And that person's technically right. doing more based on what they were given. That's you know? so true. Yeah. Cause it's relative yeah. to possession and, and means, isn't it? Exactly. SubhanAllah. Now on divine love, divine relationship. So the first relationship as human beings is meant to be focused uh, on Allah because it's the first and the last and the one you're going to take through all the other ones, right? Would you say that's an accurate sure. statement? So, yes. So this is beautiful because love of the divine, you know, is your, um, you know, strong, your strongest theme here, like the love and the rahmah and basically how much everything is... Um, uh, the the pricelessness and, and the gift of consciousness itself and to be here, like to be something rather than nothing, right? And so that is a, you know, it's a Quranic standing point. Like, haven't you guys reflected, you know, on look at you and the heavens and the earth and how everything works? Mm. I mean, there's a simulation going on for the conscious, you know, speaking intellectual animal to walk around and do what, do what he or she does, right? Or doesn't. Hmm. Um, and so to really succeed from a Quranic standpoint, perhaps, is, you know, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, you know, uh, there's those who believe, but the ones who love Allah more than anything else, like there's those who love Allah equal to other things. Like it's possible that I love my car or my wife as hmm. much as I love Allah in my human heart, let's say, right? Um, but the, you know, there's always these extra levels, you know, there is no roof with God, which is beautiful. Hmm. And so you can love God more than anything else. You can love the prophet more than yourself, which are some of the conditions identified by the tradition to, you know, suggest where you're at sometimes, right? With your Iman and so forth. And so it's interesting because if Allah, as you know, we talked about long distance earlier and for a lot of people, and I think you try to address this in the book, you know, God is this abstraction. God is out there. God is some other construct. I want to get married. I want to get a new house. I want to get closer to God, right? It's like some mm -hmm. other item on the, you know, to-do uh, goal list or whatever. 
But, you know, in your book, you're reminding us, no, God is already with you wherever you are. If he he feels far or you're not seeing it, that has to do with the personal veil. And now intimacy and love has to come for a lot of people through something tangible. And maybe that's why humans struggled with idolatry so much, right? In, mm. in subtle and apparent or physical or soft forms, right? Because it's like, well, I want something to hold. I want something to look at when I'm mm -hmm. talking to God, right? And it's like Islam is trying to draw you into look at the mirror of your soul, not some, you know, cube or statue or picture of a person. You know, this is not the gonna get you to what you're trying to get to by talking to these things necessarily right mm. so intimacy and love how can it be properly attained you know maybe your top three points for attaining intimacy and love with something that is for the human from the human standpoint seemingly far or abstract or it's not tangible it's not concrete how can i love something i can't hug or or feel um, but maybe we can feel hugs and, and, and high fives from God. It's just not, you know, the way it would be from Johnny or Medium. You know, what are your thoughts about that? How do we cultivate divine intimacy, love with something that isn't physical? Uh, I think that would be an interesting point to explore. Great question. Uh, it's one I've actually never been asked before, but I love it because uh, I feel that whenever you're sitting with, with the unseen, in a sense, and, and starting with the fact that we're, we come from, we have a form and then we have this unseen thing, call it a spirit, the rule, the breath of God, whatever you want to call it, but it's this sort of intangible something mixed with this dense clay, earthenware body. And so here comes our duality as a human being, um, existence comes into view through, through duality and contrast. And so here is the spirit, this, this peace, or it sounds funny to say peace of unity. Um, but peace in the sense, like that the color spectrum, um, that breaks out when light hits a prism, right? The blue doesn't belong to blue. Blue belongs to the light. Red belongs to the blood, to the light, the Roy G. Biv, it goes all the way back to the light. So it's not separate from and so here's a spirit inside of us that's unified. Allah says, I created all of Adam, you know, everyone from one soul, the children of Adam from one soul. And so there's this unified element in there. And then here we have these separate bodies, right? And they're dense and we're, we have senses and sense perceptions. Every sense perception is based on opposites. And so the human beings reaching for beauty in and of itself points that something else is ugly. Like we, we can, all of our reaching in a sense, even if it's for one thing, ends up unveiling polarity and that density. And so and, question and that being, has, we'll have, Sorry, that has a lot to do with mm -hmm. also the way we make meaning and attach to those items. For example, like is death always an evil or bad thing? It's like, well, mm -hmm. only if you think life is the only good side of that, right? And or sure. life is, uh, you know, so that's like a because it's always, you know, that might be a, a point on that, right? It's like it all depends on how we ascribe meaning to these opposite polarities. And how does oneness change that duality sense, perhaps? Absolutely. And I mean, in regards to, in the Quran, it says everything was created in pairs. It's almost like you want to say, so that you would know that Allah is the only one, <laughs> you know, like, and so here's this thing. Okay. Your dense, this density, 
sense perceptions based on duality, everything you know is like, like for example, if you slight tangent, but if you think about the sun and you say it's bright, well, is the sun bright or are your eyes sensitive? And is the heart, is the floor hard or are your feet soft? Like you can't really describe anything on its own without that relationship. And so Mm -hmm. then you come to the relationship of Allah and you're looking for intimacy and love and you're like, well, everything else in my life, I I am used to hot, cold, dark, light. I'm used to these opposites and here's the one. And so the, the mind sort of breaks the mind struggles to receive unity because the mind exists because of duality. The mind can't understand things unless there's relativity. And so here you have a problem. You're like, well, yeah, so what do I do? And that's where I feel like the heart enters the picture because where the mind can't understand, the heart can know. And Allah has almost given us this, it's not just the physical heart it's a spiritual heart inside of you that is giving you the opportunity to connect with something beyond what your eyes can see it's kind of like um a hot spot you know like this divine hot spot (laughs) and you can pick up connection even though i can't see the wi-fi that surrounds me the fact that i'm having this conversation with you hints to the fact that there is some sort of connection happening it deceives my eyes, but it's there. And so when it comes to intimacy and love, it's like, I actually find it, it's helpful to begin with form because every form has a soul or essence or subtlety to it. And so when you begin, you're like, this thing exists. And then you move into the subtlety of it. For me and for lots of people that I've experienced is going into the world and experiencing the things that God created kind of like walking through a museum, gets you to know something of the artist. And when you look at the world, like went on a walk this morning, and I'm looking at the world as a literal museum of God, that he, that the sky, like he chose to be this color to my eyes. My eyes are artwork. Everything I see and don't see and experience is part of his art. And so I start to get to know him through beginning with density, with outer form. And I get to experience the beauty of what he creates, the textures. I zoom in to things. I zoom out of things, aerial views and microscopic views, and start to see this beauty unveil itself. And my, my mind is still active in that, but it's like amazed by quantum physics or space or microbiology so i'm getting to know and that's why when you actually look at the past like some of the deepest scholars and mystics and um, of every tradition were polymaths they knew many studies they didn't just know theology they didn't just know prayer they knew so many things and part of that is because it in, it colors in the lines uh, of what can't be seen through bewilderment. And I think as a society being one, two, three, we go to Google, we haven't been left to contemplate and be be bewildered by things we don't know. And there is a space in there, in my opinion, there's a space in there 
that you can, that really helps you drop into your heart and be like, wow, like, I don't know the facts on this, but I can sit in the amazement of it for just a moment. And, and like, just really take in that humility that comes. And for me, humility is that key to intimacy. You know, it says, this is a study that came out that was talking about, it was actually a leadership study, but it was looking at leaders with their, um, you know, their employees. And it was saying that the, it was established that there's a connection, which is so fascinating if you think about it Islamically, but there's a connection between the, the less power, the, the more power the leader gives up in the sense of to the employee in a conversation through saying, wow, you know, you're such a vital part of this organization, meaning saying we need you, the more the leader is able to widen his vision. In other words, the more gives up power and adopts humility, the wider the vision of the leader is in seeing the organization, Mm -hmm. his employees, his staff, meaning when we step into humility, we're able to receive more of reality in a sense. We, we end up in a receptive state, not as a, in an like active going after it state. It's almost like we lean back, not passively, but we're receptive to receive. And so that humility, the sitting with things, the density outward and being present with the subtlety of it by focusing in. And in that period, asking a lot from a humble place, like, Allah, show me the subtlety and the density. Allah, show, like you come to God humble. Intimacy requires humility. Without humility, intimacy can't, and love can't really exist. And love requires you to have freedom of choice, to inquire, to ask, to roam, to seek. And one of the things that's happened in Islamic institutions and in, in communities is Children have been shot down for their questions. Mm-hmm. They've been shot down for their doubt, which that's takes never happened a, to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many people it's happened to, and I can't tell you how many people are like, I was never allowed to ask questions. Once my you, uh, Islamic teacher, she was the imam's wife. Um, I was, you know, I was a clown, so. Uh, you know, I had to go to Saturday and Sunday Islamic school hell was so of course I was fussed. Wow. You know, I mean, it's like my go to school seven days a week. What is this? You know, wow. and uh, so I was being fussy, and she said, "Karim, sit down and be quiet, or I will slaughter you." And she put her, you know, hand across her neck, and then I started laughing. I go, "Okay, alhamdulillah, at least my meat will be halal." <laughs> Like that was me in Islamic school, but uh, but yeah, t- so so it's hard to ask questions. It's almost like you're challenging the franchise Islam ideology that we've all pumped through the last three generations. Who do you think you are? And it's interesting because the Quran tells us it's not a valid excuse to say, well, this is what our forefathers did, our forefathers, exactly. our forefathers, and that includes Muslims. Exactly. That's such a good point. And I think you bring up a great point around this because for me, question asking is about when people can ask questions of their doubt, even in their doubt of belief in God, as central as that, it hints to you that they're vulnerable, that there's a safe space. You can't have love and intimacy without safety. So you need to be able to have a safe space in, in safe communities. I, I would right? even so, say the three levels. For Level one is you need safety, predictability. 
Level two, then you get to trust and security. And level mm-hmm. three, attachment and bonding and binding, right? And that's what you accomplish with a human or with Allah, perhaps, right? That's the kind of the three levels of connection or intimacy, perhaps. What are your thoughts? I love that. No, I think you're you're right on. And I think that's so important. But I think what we do is we bypass all that and we say, have trust in Allah. And when I say like you're sitting with the density, part of that is you're allowing yourself to receive the beauty without all the theology behind it. Allah gave you eyes to experience the beauty that's of his that is objectively beautiful in the forms he creates. When you sit with that, you're able to just be with what is without um, attaching it to a million different things. But that bewilderment is important because I think it feeds in to your humility before Allah, because you see just how concise and how beautiful and so macro, micro, and just the balance in how he creates on the one hand, and then stepping in with that humility, which I think begins really a lot of times when you have people who are, they were, uh, they were preached straight into practices with no principles. What ends up happening is that person crosses every T and dots every I, but guess what? They also have a very big eye, a very big ego about the things they do. They're, they're the first to judge everybody else. They're the first to find fault in the things people do because they didn't adopt the principle. They're just doing practices. It's not that the practices are bad. It's not that the practices aren't obligatory. Yes, they are. But where are you coming from? Like if you go to your wife or if someone, I guess you can buy flowers for your husband too. I haven't often seeing people do that. But if you take flowers to your wife and you're like, here's some flowers. Like I thought of you today, right? That feels nice. She's going to love that. But if you bring her flowers and you're like, all right, going to make me a steak woman. Cause (laughs) these flowers are for like transactional uh, intimacy. Yeah, It becomes really weird. And when you take on practices without principles, it becomes transactional. It's like so you need a spirit and a body for the body to be alive. You need this, the ruh of Islam to be in the law of Islam for Islam to be a living, breathing, experiential journey, not just a dogmatic, mechanistic, replicate, franchise, cultural, ethnic practice of some sort that happens to use as well Islamic values and, and constructs, right? But it's like it just come, becomes very conflated if it's only about the practice as well. And form and essence are, it's another principle here that you're mentioning, right? Is that there's always a essence to the principle and then there's flexibility in uh, the form, not not uh, the wajibat of Islam like salat, so forth, but for example, fiqh, that's his fiqh, right? Fiqh, you have mm. flexibility in application of those timeless principles that are unchanging because of the context or the time and space. As Muhammad Asad said, you know, uh, if Quran is for all ages and all places, it has to be you know, continuously engaged for every age by every age, right? Mm. In other words, you use your intellect. Allah made this book for people who think. So how can it be for all people in time if we're so fixated on the, you know, crystallizing the practice just the way it is without the, you know, the spirit or the yolk of that eggshell, right? It's like that's where all Mm. the color and nutrients are, right? And the flavor. Otherwise, you're just, you got a nice empty egg that's painted, but it's hollow and it actually can't feed you or, or make you more alive. Subhanallah, you know, so essence and form, spirit and letter of the law, let's say, these are some of the distinctions you're making that it's important to integrate and understand each side only so that you can integrate 
into one thing more fully. And this is perhaps one of the um, you know, day-to-day ways that we are trying to assert a tawheed, assert unity, which it means asserting, uh, excuse me, tawheed means asserting unity, which is important because it's an active mm. process to assert something. It's not just, oh, it's all one and cool and yeah, like we're like so cool, <laughs> you know, like Buddhists and stuff, like we think everything's one. It's like, no, what is that actually, how does that affect you? Right? How do you see mm. things on a day to day? What's your attitude? How does that drive your choices? You know, so uh, but yeah, I just feel like I was just trying to organize what you were saying. And last point is the sira itself gives us a lot of this evidence. You know, the first 11, 12 years, there's no five daily prayers. Right. Yeah. And even after that. It's like, all right, guys, don't drink too much. It's like, so halwa, you know, not another glass of wine because Aisha's in an hour or we got to get up for Fajr, mm. so let's keep it light. So subhanAllah, you see gradualism. So what were the Muslims doing if they weren't praying five times a day, which is what everyone tends to judge people on, what they wear, how they look and what they do. What were they doing then, right? It was theology. It was love of Allah. It was social justice and change. It was helping the the weak and the oppressed and the orphans and, and gender equality and so forth. Then Salah came perhaps to anchor us in or you know now that you have your spiritual you know um uh awakening and you're you're doing you know everything that you should be doing up until this point now let's really organize your salah and your chapter on salah talks a lot about how this is actually a gift and a calling to plug in uh mm. what was the line it was really jazzy it was like a you know electric uh, the electric waves of god or something you know plug in to get the electric <laughs> waves of god and so you know and that's so true it's like you need that the soul has its own battery power it's like you know batteries are included with the human being i.e the soul but you are the one responsible for you got to recharge it's a rechargeable battery but you got to be the right. one that recharges it right and plugs right. it Inshallah, you enjoyed that first portion of our conversation today. Tune in for next time as we continue talking about treasures and intimacy and spirituality, getting closer to the divine. Ramadan Mubarak to all of you and your families, and uh, let's all pray for each other. Bye.